The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Hey, good afternoon. You are tuned to... You are tuned to... You are tuned to Isotopica. Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Simon Tishko. I am your presenter. And this week... On Isotopica, I've got a usual kind of mixed up bag of things, including super, absolutely damn top hole super chats with old friend and companion Dudley Sutton, national treasure, actor extraordinaire, who tells us about the middle class in the 1950s and his early forays onto the stage, quite unexpectedly, I have to add. There's some outtakes and some intakes and some bit takes from previous things with Dudley, but I overheard it the other night when reviewing stuff on my computer and I have to say I was laughing out loud the man is a genius and I'm going to start off with a call to arms this is this is so essential and this is so resonance FM listener material um this Thursday 17th of July 1pm British Film Institute in the South Bank there is a rally of people that's my phone we're going to ignore that there's a rally of workers from ritzy cine world curzon and the everyman everyone's getting together and they're going to have a rally through the west end and all they're asking for is a living wage can you imagine actually wanting to earn enough money from the work you do simply to put food on the table rather than having to rely on benefits and handouts and tax credits and the complicated demeaning system that this awful awful foul government have imposed upon us in their bottom-up reorganization of the finances of this country stealing from the poor to put the money on the table of the rich I mean couldn't make it up we've slipped so far to the west the west i mean the right we've slipped so far to the right that in in almost every utterance of this really dumb government it's eugenics it's the early days of the nazis and i don't say that lightly i say that as an academic as someone who's i've read more than a comic or two and the language of these people is so lost and bereft of humanity. Anyway, we find that multinational corporations taking over cinemas, commodifying and plasticizing the beauty and the joy of art house cinema and paying the people and refusing to let them read books, refusing to let them engage with the film viewing audience, the people like you and me at Resonance who like to go and see art house films in nice circumstances. But profits going to the shareholders etc etc they're not paying the people they're simply not paying people this is awful so thursday 17th july 1 p.m this week let's all go down there let's cheer let's kind of go let's say we want to go to a cinema where everyone's paid correctly we can do that details of this are available on my website being www.theculture.net do have a look do have a listen let's support the Ritzy and the Curzon and the Everyman and the Cineworld staff to have a living wage. Well, if you leave want... that with me, then, and I'll lock it up in the safe upstairs. You can come collect it at the end of the It's a very extraordinary idea. Yes, it's a very extraordinary idea that you should keep coming in and trying to record. I've told you before, you're not going to do it tonight. Yeah, We've got three and a half thousand pounds of dressing room. We're not well, going to leave it here. it at the end of the performance. If you wanted to do it, you should have made arrangements in advance. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. 
I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Well, three and a half thousand pounds. Dressing room, we're not going to leave it here. If you wanted to do it, you should have made arrangements in advance. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Three and a half thousand pounds of equipment up in the dressing room. We're not going to leave it here. Collected at the end of the performance. Well, I understood that your thing was perfectly okay if I would confide in you. No, the arrangement was for you filming in the rehearsal only. Well, I don't know. I thought that it was okay if I recorded. Now you're trying to get in every every place in the building you of can possibly get. Of course I am, because in. I believe this is art, and you're trying. I'm to... not saying it isn't art. I'm not questioning that at all. I'm merely saying if you want to do it, go about it the right way. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Well, three and a half thousand pounds of equipment up in the dressing room. We're not going to leave it here. Collected at the end of the performance. You won't find any problems if you do it the right way. Make your arrangements in advance. Floyd got hold of me today and said, "Come down. There's something great going to happen. We don't want to miss it at all costs. You must record it." Yeah. Well, I don't want to stop you. It's up to you. I think you do. You ask me in advance, and we'd fix it all up for you, and it'd be plain sailing. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Well, three and a half thousand pounds of equipment up in the dressing room. We're not going to leave it here. Collected at the end of the performance. I'm not having you walking in trying to get in every corner of the building. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Okay, well we'll go then. What? These two bots are trying to get every corner of the building to record until they go out this way. Can we get our equipment? Yes, you come back at the end of the performance for it. I'm sorry, I can't leave it here. It's not. Uh... Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. You should have made arrangements in advance for it. You made arrangements for your rehearsal. Well, three and a half thousand pounds of equipment up in the dressing room. We're not going to leave it here. Collected at the end of the performance. I'm not having you walking in trying to get in every corner of the building. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Send me a bill. I'm not going to send you a bill. Three and a half thousand pounds of equipment up in the dressing room. We're not going to leave it here. Collected at the end of the performance. The end of the performance. Send me a bill. You can leave it here till the end of the performance. Can we get it now? The interval is low. It depends on where we start. Yes, you can get it. Can't we get it now? Get it at the interval. Where is it? It's in there. It's in the dress. It's in there. Places found for you and everything else, I said. But I mean, it's this one underhand way of trying to do it, sneaking around it's first in the boxes, first in the boxes, it, and I want to do it, and I will do well, everything that I can do. Well, if you believe, if you believe, if you believe, you should at least send me a bill. 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 
good afternoon. <laughs> we are on <laughs> Isotopica. No, I can't even say it properly. I say Isotopica. That's a very Polish Isotopica. We are on Isotopica tonight. Today. <laughs> Today. <laughs> I can't record that. <laughs> this is stupid. I had to have tie up for Staffordshire to Glasgow, Wales, Dublin, or I mean, Wales are general. North, North Welsh, um, Cardiff Welsh. But I was listening to all the accents of the English language, and here, I, here was I, a student of the drama, and the drama of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art was all the language of the middle class, and it really peeved me. Because middle class or the ruling classes? No, the middle, middle class. Cl the middle class, the, the ruling class. I think that's the same thing nowadays. But then, this is the 1950s, so yeah. early 1950s, 50s. No, I, don't, I think the aristocrat, the aristocracy lost its its uh, its effect after the First World War. They were virtually blown out of the water. I think so. But I think the rise of the middle class happened between the wars. But then, how does that the tie in with the idea of going to the theatre or the cinema and having the national anthem played? This kind of well, this is old hang-ups, isn't it? I mean, it took them years, it takes them years and years to get rid of stuff. It's easier to put things on the statute books and take them off, you know. I mean, no, I mean, I think the point I'm trying to make is that I knew from my experience in the Air Force that the English language is rich and varied and funny and lively. And yet the English of the, the middle class, the English middle class was stilted and dull. And uh, I couldn't understand why the theatre didn't express this wonderful, rich vernacular language. I couldn't, it didn't make sense to me, you know. And uh, I'd spent four years in the RF, as I say, listening to these wonderful expressions. And I had this mate this down there, I think it was in Staffordshire or somewhere, I've forgotten, but his language, and his best mate was called Hector. And in the morning you say, Hey, by the fuck, heck. Do us have to wear those boots. I love boots for boots. I, mean, I was listening to this and I was fascinated by it all. You know, I mean, you go to the theatre and it's all the, the officers, the officers, middle class. How do you do? Oh, Jeremy, it's so very, very fine, very lovely to see you. Cigarette. Thank you, thank you. Want some lighter? Yes, of course. Oh, yes, we used to have a thing called um, f Shoot Cuff Flicker Ronson. That was one of Ian McShane's jokes. Shoot Cuff Flicker Ronson. I love you very, very much. Cigarette. Thank you, darling. What you're doing for Britain is something really rather fine. Cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it is with a great regret that I sentence you to death. Cigarette. No, what was it? On the, on the, on the radio, it was... Um, Five babies were burnt in a fire in East London. Cricket. <laughs> it was like that. It was so strange. But I mean, you know, I mean, here was here was I. I was going to be a student in the theatre. I actually just wanted to be a student because I'd been reading Dostoevsky when I was in the Air Force. Crime and punishment. Punishment. I got punished for reading in the Air Force because I went. I, <laughs> I joined the Air Force in a fit of depression following too many German expressionist films <laughs> in, in, in the Edgware Road in the late 40s. And I mean, you know, little numbers like Blue Angel or the cabinet of Dr. Caligari would really. Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah, oh no, she wasn't around. No, that wasn't Lenny Riefenstahl, no. Blue Angel. Good Lord, no. She did one called Blue Lantern, that's where I'm getting confused. She did, did yeah. she? Uh, uh, uh. Lenny Riefenstahl, no, she was the, the hit. Hitler's movie maker. Oh, Blue Angel being... Blue Angel was uh, Marlena Dietrich. Of course. And it was this schoolmaster who was in love with her. Yeah. And the school kids all knew it and they teased him. And he finished up going mad and was prancing around like a cockerel in the end. I mean, it just brought me down. Everything at that time depressed me. I was a very depressed teenager. Here was I in London at the age of 17 going to these dreary, awful, depressing films. And I became so depressed that I joined the Air Force. <laughs> 
well, I've been to an English public school and I've been to an English prep school. So if you've been institutionalised, you answer your emotional problems with an institution. Another Hence all those Etonians in, in prison, mm. you know, throughout the world. You know, that's what you do. So I joined the RAF and... Um, I didn't have the maths, so they said, oh, well, if you learn the maths, you can become a pilot. I had this fake idea of being a pilot. But I was too lazy, and I became an engine mechanic instead. But the moment I entered the billet and met all these guys who hadn't been to a public school, I just fell in love with the language. Mm. And I didn't see any point in, uh, in uh, becoming an officer. And there was a young, a bunch of young officers got hold of me one day. They said, look here, Sutton, you went to a public school. Why aren't you taking a commission? And I said, look, I've been to public school. I said, in the officer's mess, it's just like being back at school. You actually play rugger with the cushions. <laughs> and if you, I say, if a chap enters the mess with his hat on, with his cap on, he has to buy everybody over the rank of, I don't know, squad leader, drink. I said, oh, go away. I've had all that tosh. Enough. I want to see something new. Fuck it, the fucking thing's fucking well fucked. Get my vote any day of the week. Anapestic petrometer, just like Byron in the Siege of Shanakarim. I like to think I was as clever as that. I wasn't. But it was, it was the language that I loved. And, uh, well, then, of course, the depression kicked in again. And I was living in a billet with a guy who was a manic depressive. He was actually a cartoonist as well. He was make, draw very good, clever cartoons. A guy called Jack Clayton, I think. When he could. Yeah. No, so no he, especially when he was depressed. Oh, really? He, best one. He, yeah. was, he could perform. Yeah. He was very he was good. Depressed. And uh, he taught me all the symptoms. I was, a, I was the leading light of the Thorny Island Amateur Dramatic Society. Because every, every RAF base, every RAF base of any size is like an English village. Mm -hmm. It has its amateur drama society, it's had its egg and spoon races and Cricket sandals. team? Cricket, football. I mean, this, this brings us back to why I got punished for reading. I hated sport. I like to say, I'm proud to say I've never committed an act of sport in my life. I don't tend to start now, in spite of the recent glorious Olympics, which I enjoyed. But um, I, I just it didn't, I didn't get it. And you had to have a sport because it's just like school, you're back at school, you've got to be competitive. And I couldn't stand being competitive. So they found out that I'd worked on a fishing boat in the Channel Islands, so I was allowed to do sailing. I couldn't do football, I didn't do cricket, the ball was too hard, hurt, made you stings your hand. You worked on a fishing boat? I worked on a fishing boat for a short while. So mm -hmm. they said, right, well, you can join the sailing club. Okay. So I joined the sailing club, and I wormed cool. my yeah, and I wormed my way in to being the barman in the sailing club, which was even better. Yeah. So I get pissed all day, and I could rob the people blind. And um, I learned how to sail this wretched boat, and I loved sailing around this beautiful Sussex, uh, Chichester Harbour, with mud flats and curlews in the evening, and just sailing. And then they said, "You've got to race." You know, they just take all the joy and the lyricism and the f f poetry of sailing a dinghy in Chichester Harbour and turn it into a bloody competition. I, I, I learned very early on, for every winner there are a lot of losers. And I've never <laughs> seen the point of this bastard swanking back to the dressing room all covered in sweat when I was still completely untouched in my drooping shorts. <laughs> Oh dear, no, I mean, it was just so awful. So I, I used to stay in in sports afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, and I would read. Um. And this sergeant and this officer used to come around, combing the barracks to try and find people who were reading when they should have been out there bullying each other and competing with each other and turning other people into losers. And uh, I was reading Dostoevsky at the time, and I decided I'd become a perpetual student. I see. Which was fantastic. It was very exciting. Sorry, what were you saying? I was, no, I wasn't at all. I was going to say, now, actually, we could swap seats, and I shall put some new software into your computer. All right, OK. And um, we'll carry on, shall we? And I think carry on, because that's... It's all getting in a bit of a muddle, but... 
what had happened uh, when I was in the RF I had, you, you know as a, as a, a non-commissioned man in the Air Force you have the English class system really rubbed in your face mm-hmm. albeit it was out of date um, but the officers have better food, better living conditions, better money, much better clothes than we have, and we'd have to stand out in the drizzling rain in our ghastly suits uh, while they'd be under the under the um, eaves with their leather gloves and their beautiful overcoats called British Warms, which I rather envied. And little sports cars? And they were hot, yes, of course, sports cars, blazers, flannels, all that kind of stuff. And I'd been in school with these guys so I became the interpreter between the men and the officers so when an officer came into the billet and he'd go, right, carry on chaps, jolly good carry on, yes absolutely jolly good, very good, carry on and they'd say, afterwards they'd say, what's he on about? I say, he doesn't know he doesn't know the great thing about English public schools they teach you when you don't know what you're doing to keep talking I mean, Cameron is a case in point if you don't know what you're talking about, keep talking. Boris is excellent at it. So I think that Boris does know what he's talking about. He's talking about Boris. Boris, yes. Yeah, but uh, there you go. Um, so anyway, where, where we got to? Uh, yeah, this business of class and having class rubbed in your face all the time. Um, and when I came into the theatre... Oh, no, this is what happened. I got depressed, so I was allowed to buy myself out from being an engine mechanic... And I said to the uh, education officer, who was a product of the 45 Attlee government, one of those incredible so-called red-brick universities. So left-leaning officers was very unusual, usually in the education department. And um, they, they would look after you and take care of you and try to advise you and help you on your way into civilian life. A bit like being rehabilitated in, in, in prison, I think it was a bit similar. To leave the services? Yeah, to leave the services. And uh, so I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this education officer said, well, of course you do. He said, well, everybody knows that. You're going to be an actor. I said, well, I can't be an actor. He said, of course you can. I said, well, how can I be an actor? Because none of them, nobody in my family, and my dad was in the same man car business, you know, become actors. And he said, well, you go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And I said, don't be a twerp, I can't go anywhere royal. He said, you're the twerp, he says. You're in the Royal Air Force, aren't you? Why don't you write a letter about the Royal Mail to get an audition for the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art? Well, I was terrified, especially when I got a, an audition and I went up to London and I did this audition. I had no clue what to do. Where would it have been? At the, at the Rada in Which Gower Street. In Gower in Street. London, yeah. Is it still there? One. Yeah, it's still there. Uh-huh. The Italian restaurant we used to use is still there as well, called Olivelli's, around in Store Street, I think, or Cheney Street. But um, there it was, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and these carved figures over the thing. Very exciting. Then you go in, or you'd be told to learn a speech or study speeches by... Shakespeare, who I'd heard of, mm-hmm. Sheridan, who I'd never heard of, and I forget who else, uh, and a modern piece, and I didn't know any modern piece. I didn't know anything. I read a book about John Gielgud, and I quite liked that because he was worried about his legs all the time. Was he really established at that time? Oh, in the God, 1950s, yes. he was, he was famous. very, very oh, big. Oh, huge, huge. Because the vision of the 1950s is very black and white, or that very strange English technicolour, the kind of slightly cheaper technicolour of the 1950s, but it must have been very real colour for you. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, we think of the 1950s as being a very black and white time. Very well, my, my kids think I was brought up in black and white. Mm. But then I think most kids think that. Mm. Uh, in fact, I think uh, when I was living in Soho, and, 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 and in Paddington, in the late 40s, it was bloody black and white. Mm-hmm. So all this is before the Clean Air Act. Oh, of course. London, London was full of sulphur. It was a mess. And all the buildings very black. Very, very black. Very black. But, um, no, anyway, so I, w- I went to the RADA and I got uh, a bursary for £3 a week. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, £3 pound a week was what you were being paid in the Air Force. I had all my fees paid uh-huh. and three quid a week. That's remarkable. And, uh, yeah, and so as long as you kept worked in coffee bars and stuff and you worked as a waiter or something, you could see it, you could do it. Yeah. But, um, 
Oh, somewhere now. How old were you when you went to Rada then? Uh, let's see, 1955, so I was born in 1933. So 22. 22, yeah, 22. I was a virgin, virtually. I'd worked in a holiday camp as a photographer in the summer between the end of the Air Force and the beginning of the RADA, ostensibly to um, save money. But uh, I was introduced to strong drink. <laughs> we all got pissed all the time, especially the staff. And the campers all come up and they want to get the staff pissed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a lovely girlfriend at the time, a girl from Wembley called Jackie, who was great. And another one called June, different times. And um, I knew nothing. I was such a virgin in so many different ways. And when I arrived at the RADA, I had not a clue. All I, all I knew was it was all about the bloody officers. And all that rich language I'd heard amongst my friends in the Air Force was not there. You were back in the officers' mess? I was back in the officers' mess after all. The Royal Academy of Dramatic Art was everything that it, it uh, sounded like. I mean, I thought it'd be something like Edward Gordon Craig with great pillars and shafts of light and people looking like Greek philosophers standing around talking at least about politics, at least about something. But all they were talking about was acting. <laughs> and acting in these um, bourgeois plays. You know, I was taken to the theatre, I saw a play called Carrington V.C. about a chap who disgraced his name by failing to pay his officers' mess bills. Nonsense. <laughs> My uncle took me to it. It was very nice for him to take me, but, God, he was dull. And then I went to the old Vic to see Shakespeare, mm-hmm. fell in love with Claire Bloom. This is all when I was in the Air Force. Yeah, Absolutely Claire Bloom was wonderful. The only time in my life ever I've sent away for a picture of an actress was to Claire Bloom. She was the most beautiful girl. She doesn't know how many times I had her. <laughs> her photograph was in my locker, uh-huh. accompanying me to the, to, the, to the loo many, many times. Delightful. <laughs> Delightful. She was lovely, that Claire Bloom. But her poor girl, she didn't realise that I was her passionate enamorata. Oh. I saw her play Viola at the Old Vic. I saw Richard Burton playing... I didn't really understand what was going on, except she had this terribly posh voice, this terribly posh, rather bossy voice. And I had this masochistic dream of being whipped by Claire Bloom in a prison cell in the Air Force. It was a kind of glorious punishment. Fairly standard dream, then. Pretty standard stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty standard masochistic stuff. Um, yeah, and I mean, I didn't dig the Shakespeare, and they would all stand with one leg bent on, on a rostrum and pearl earrings and talking in this terribly posh way except for Burton who spoke with a Welsh accent had a bit of music to it this reminds me of that Dylan Thomas poem do not go gentle into that good night rage rage against the time of the light and you my father there in the dance oh it's great fuck it the fucking thing's fucking well fucked <laughs> well that was um I don't know, it was just a confusion. It was a confusion of depression and frustration and a lack of understanding, and uh, very intolerant I was. Um, it sounded like you stumbled into all of this. How did your family yeah, react yeah. to this? Were they supportive of all no, this? Well, yeah. no, it's very really funny, actually, because yeah. the, sta- the, the style at the RADA, which I really enjoyed, was camp. Okay. Because one thing that happened to me in the Air Force was that I, I knew a gay guy called Gloria who used to be, we didn't call it gay in those days, it was called queer. He was a queer who used to be a window dresser at Liberties. And we were being inspected by this fierce general type officer, Air Vice Marshal, somebody or other, and in absolute state of terror that if he found any infringement in our uniforms, we'd be desperately punished. And as he hoved into view on the parade ground, I heard Gloria say, Oh, get her. And the whole authority collapsed. <laughs> and I understood then and there the great subversiveness of camp. 
I loved it. I absolutely cried and cried with laughter at these little remarks that Gloria would come out with. And I was um, brought up by, I like to say that I am a highly trained anti-Semitic racist homophobe. Because I was brought up by my father. My father was a Daily Mail reading like fascist. He would have been a perfect Nazi. The the small businessman, Mm -hmm. paranoid about Jews doing him out of his usual stuff. But paranoid about gay and and of course I was reading Oscar Wilde and I loved Oscar Wilde and I had a terrible time the only time my father ever struck me was ironically with a rolled up copy of the Daily Mail (laughs) for asking him what Oscar had done because they couldn't bring themselves to say what Oscar had done and of course it's a broadsheet then yeah (laughs) <laughs> absolutely it was <laughs> a point a point Good well point, made a point, point well made yes 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 but um, no I mean I adored I mean you know Lady Bracknell you know the whole system of modern education is radically unsound fortunately in England at any rate it has no effect whatever mm. I mean it's just delightful and later on she describes the French Revolution as an unfortunate movement and I spent days laughing at that. Who was Lady Bracknell? Lady Bracknell is the, the leading light of the importance of being earnest which is probably the funniest comedy in the English language. You know, the, the handbag. Is Back to the theatre. And the handbag? Oh, was the whole play is so funny. The whole system of modern education is radically unfa- unsound. Fortunately, in England, at any rate, it has no effect whatever. If it had, it would prove a danger to the upper class and probably lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. Well, in the 60s, it did, it did yeah. lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. And it was the students. Prophetic... I don't care how he got his bum done. He had this wonderful language and this wonderful ability and this prophecy, this prophetic. Anyway, that was uh, so. Gloria was my interest. and then so going back to your question, camp was the style of drama students, male drama students at the RADA, and I embraced it a hundred percent. You asked about my father, yeah, and I went home, and I was camp campus Chloe, and I went to campus and slice uh, slice loaf, and my brother came up and said, Dudley, are you? Queer. <laughs> I wish I'd had the opportunity, you know, the the intelligence then to say, but one, and wait till you're all stuck. <laughs> but I didn't. I just got very frightened. Oh no, 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 no! Of course not. Sorry. But uh, no, I didn't know what was going on, and uh, I, I we kept being given free tickets to the theatre. You know, we go along and see these insufferable plays. What sort of theatre? Oh, there was no national theatre then, was there? No, no. Bring, bring, hello. Dr. Libard's house. Yes, just a minute, I'll see if she's here. Excuse me, Mum. Yes, Janet. It's a phone call. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, working class. How very obliging of you. It was just (laughs) awful. Awful. You know, thank you, you feckless, wanton piece of social trash mm. for answering my telephone. Yeah. Hello, let's get on with the proper stuff of the play now. Oh. Having established the class precedent yes, exactly. and the standards exactly. have to be exactly. maintained. Yes, enter Lady So-and-so through French windows with a trog of gladioli. What? What? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Beg your pardon. <laughs> Supposed to be a student of theatre. I couldn't stand it. The old Vic was falsified with these awful acting going on, that bloody pearl drop earrings, and then massive amount of makeup. And it was just wretched, and there were no ideas anywhere. And the rather there were no ideas, there was nothing. I came from the wrong side of the track. I've been all my life. I've been in, in confusion. Because, as I say, I come from a family who had no... The the only book in our family was Glass's Guide to Used Car Prices. Oh, and we had Winston S. Churchill's History of the English-Speaking Peoples, Volume 1, unread on our (laughs) shelf by the elephant. (laughs) You know, and here's I in love with literature. So what could you do? You know, it's impossible. But, um... I was in the kitchen one day and I burst into tears. I said, I'm a student of something I hate. 
because I couldn't see having a future in who's for tennis. It just was impossible. I knew the. I think I instinctively knew the world was a richer place. London was so lively in the mid fifties. I mean, the mid fifties, ten years after the end of the war, suddenly the lid of depression had lifted from London, post-war depression. And suddenly, ideas were in the air. Colin Wilson introduced our generation to a whole series of writers, exciting writers like... Colin uh, Wilson being... Colin Wilson was a popular writer at the time. Okay. He'd written a book called The Outsider, of inspired course. by Camus' L'Etranger. Nice. And then we had André Gide, and we had Jean-Paul Sartre, uh-huh. and, uh, uh, you know, the... Oh, a whole range of them and I'd had Dostoevsky when I was in the RAF um, I loved the Russian writers I loved the French writers uh, it, it was exciting the, 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 the spread was so much broader I couldn't deal with the Anglo-centric English theatre was concerned with the, with the emotional problems of the English middle class it just was so bloody dull you know cigarette and um, I, I broke down in tears one day and somebody said, why don't you go down to Stratford, East London, down the bottom, there's this old theatre, <coughs> a company called Theatre Workshop run by an extraordinary woman called Joan Littlewood. Um, it is very much attached to the, to the left wing and the Communist Party, but don't let that put you off. Sounds wonderful. They're doing, well, it's, no, in those days, I mean, don't forget I come from a very uh, right wing idiot background. But I was thrilled with the idea of breaking all the rules and I went down there and I saw this play called The Good Soldier Schweik, which was just heaven. Is that a Polish or Czech thing? No, it's um God, Hungarian, is it? Hungarian. 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 Is it Hungarian or yeah, but where's um very Bohemian. Where's from yeah, Prussia, where's, Bohemian? Uh, no, what's his name? Uh, uh, Budapest. Hungry. Yeah, hungry. Yeah. hungry yeah. That's right, yeah, hungry. It was Kafka and uh, my mind's gone. My mind's gone. Yaroslav Hasek wrote it. That's it. And uh, and the cartoons were by his mate. I can't remember his mate's name. But it was heaven. In those days, you went to the theatre in the West End. The moment you sat down, there'd be a drum roll. You'd have to bloody well stand up while they played God Save the King. No. Honestly. And Theatre Workshop was the only one that refused to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was considered shocking. But it was the only theatre that looked out to Europe that wasn't Anglo-centric. It was Eurocentric, world-centric. I mean, it was fascinating. They did plays of uh, Fuente over Huna, um, Brecht, they did uh, the, the Italian straw hat. Plays from all over the place, Russia, Poland, Italy, everywhere. Not just England. And uh, I, I'd never been so happy in my life. They, they had the impertinence to have music in the place and dancing and singing and mime and jokes and the politics was thrilling the ideas were spilling out over the stage this scruffy old stage I was absolutely in heaven and this is all at the doing of Joan Littlewood yeah, yes, Joan Littlewood's theatre and I went back to to the Rada and fell in love and fell out of love and got introduced to rude things like uh, speed and purple hearts and uh, the 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 wadding from inhaler benzodrine inhalers with a coca cola <laughs> that you could get high on in the dance clubs where there was no booze allowed. Uh-huh. I got introduced into, into interest, but mainly hanging out in Soho with people with all these ideas and his philosophy and poets and the writers in the cafe in a cafe called Jimmy the Greeks. Um, uh, various bars uh, where we just talked and coffee bars where we talk all night mm. we were introduced to ideas for the first time and it was absolutely thrilling and the only place where none of this reached was in Gower Street and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Tedium and so eventually I got thrown out and uh, somebody said because um, when you get thrown out of drama school as a student you think that's the end of the world because you, you've begun to think that drama school is the world of course and it's just not whereas in reality in reality it's a very small beer 
And uh, so somebody said they were auditioning for Joan Littlewood down the East End. I rang them up and I said, I'm coming down. They said, all right, all right. Okay, okay. 30. Calm down. And I came wandering down there on the tube with my girlfriend. She'd got an audition already. God love her. I didn't think she'd get in. She didn't. Um, but um, I knew I was at home. You know, I think that tell any artist in the world, any artist of any stripe, once you hear your music, once you see your your stuff, your flag, your fault, you you know you belong. Go for it, regardless of anything, mm-hmm. regardless of parental disapproval or money or anything. You just go for it, and I went for it, and it was just heaven, heaven and hell because it was a tough. She always called me middle-class, arty, public school, and she beat the hell out of me, but she got rid of it, <laughs> and I'm grateful to her forever, cow. But uh, there you are. So you actually got him from that interview? Yeah. Audition? Yeah. Audition, yeah. sorry. Audition. Yeah. yeah, no, no, the audition was, because I, I went in with a ghastly prepared speech. When you're young, you always do something to show how much you can suffer. Really? Yeah, so you do <laughs> Romeo. <laughs> You know, and the girls do, you know, um, they do Juliet, or they do, I left no ring with her, what means this lady? And, all that, and we patter out our bit of Shakespeare and patter out our bit of bloody modern. Oh, it was hell. It was absolutely hell. But then she said, she loved mime, and she said, no, and, and ad lib, which I love. And she said, look, you're a jazz rock and roll drummer in a band. And you've come down here and that uh, for an audition, you think it's for a musical, and there's this silly woman banging on about Shakespeare, and you're telling your mates about it in the pub afterwards. That was right up my street. Perfect. So, yeah, because I'd just come Beautiful out. Beautiful direction. Yeah. I'd come out of the Air Force, and I just went whackity, whackity, whack, and had a good time. And uh, then there was a bit of mime about being... Um, in a dark cave and finding the light and coming out. I'd done a lot of dance, a lot of dance and movement classes outside the RADA, because the RADA movement class teaching was so appalling. Um, and uh, yeah, so I got a letter a few weeks later saying, would I be prepared to go to Moscow? Moscow? In the 1950s? In the fi- 1957. The height of uh, the monolith, black, yeah. evil Oh, Empire. God, yes. How yes. perfect. Yes, with all those. How did you feel at that notion? Frightened. Frightened. That's good. Yeah, well, it, well, it was response. scary. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it was joyful. And, uh... So, what were you going to do? What were you going to do in, in Russia? We were going to do the, uh, nine performances of the Scottish play, Macbeth. And I was playing Malcolm, which is impossible to play. Of course. You know, he's absolutely hopeless. I mean, no, no, they always give it to the young actor and watch him suffer, you know, because he has long lists of things and young actors have murderous time with lists because you think you've got to explain to the audience the meaning of every single word in the list yeah. instead of just doing the list and letting the audience, who speak perfectly good English, decide what it means themselves. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing you have to learn. Mm-hmm. It takes you a long time. <laughs> I mean, they still do it. You know, people get knighthoods for saying, "Oh, it was so bad," and this is so good, and say, "Oh, it's that what it means." I remember being in a production, uh, watching a production of uh, Faith Healer at the Royal Court years ago, and the, the divine Patrick McGee was playing the part, and he's saying, "And the cock crow," and you heard, and I said to my brother, "Is that what it means?" <laughs> And the cock crew. And right? there it was. Thank you very much. Thank for you. Awfully, us. Kind. awfully kind. Yes, awfully kind. Awfully kind. Yes, awfully yes, kind. Yes, I would have been in the dark. Yes. I wouldn't have known what it meant. And the cock crew. Twats. Honestly. That's the there you are. That'll do for now. I'm worn out. I'm looking forward to hearing of our journey. Yeah. To. The Soviet Union. In part two, with the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Comrade Satan. Zumir Idzudrozhva. Peace and friendship. In the yes. next episode yes. of Dudley Satan on Resonance 104.4 FM. Spasiba. Spasiba. Pajasta.
have been listening to Ice Topica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Simon Tishko and I remain to be Simon Tishko. Details of today's show and previous shows and all bits and pieces that I do as an artist are available on my website, www.theculture.net. Isotopica is available through subscription on iTunes. You can find that on my website too. And this show is repeated at 5 o'clock in the morning, Sunday later in the week, for all our friends in America and Canada land. And in the meantime, please keep the flow of communications coming. Ah, we really appreciate that. Thanks for tuning to Isotopica and Resonance 104.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, signing off for another seven days. Thanks for listening. Bye. You have been listening to Ice Topica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Simon Tishko and I remain. I do as an artist are available on my website, www.theculture.net. Details of today's show and previous shows. And you have been listening to Ice Topica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Simon Tishko and I remain to be Simon Tishko. Details of today's show and previous shows and all bits and pieces that I do as an artist are available on my website. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.